welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thanks, Sarah, for being a guest on my podcast. And my guest today is Sarah Fraser. And um, Sarah is a um, an author. She has a website. She specializes in helping women um, uh, read the Bible and get a lot out of the Bible. And she's um, recently has a book coming out called "I Didn't Sign Up for This." When your story, meaning uh, how to rest in God's goodness when your story shifts. So. Thanks <laughs> thank again, Sarah. <laughs> yes, thank you, Will, for having me on. This is this is so nice of you. I'm excited to to have a conversation. Well, great. Um, so I tell my guest, you know, uh, when I um, that I often ask them about their foundational beliefs about life, just how they see life, if they believe in God, just how that fits in, and and just those types of questions, and then also their life experiences that have shaped them to be the people that they they are. So I guess that's kind of what the direction will go in, but I'll also give you an opportunity to talk about your new book and about just what you do and offer. Um, but just to start off, perhaps you can just tell us about yourself and just kind of let us get to know you a little bit. Sure. So um, my name is Sarah. I am originally from West Virginia, uh, which is a completely different state than Virginia, right? Okay, so we know our geography. Yeah. West Virginia, not the western part of Virginia, but actually the West Virginia part. Um, born and raised here. We actually, um, my husband and I lived on the mission field for a couple years. Um, we recently moved back to West Virginia last year. And so we're kind of resettling in a little bit, praying for, you know, what direction we have um, coming up, but I love my Appalachian Hills. Um, I'm married to my husband for over 17 years. We have five children. They ages range from 15 down to eight. Three are actually biological and two were both adopted from China. So we kind of have a mixed family going on there. As I said, um, we've done mission work. We've always, you know, been involved in church and God and that's that idea of God has always been a part of my life, but we can talk about that later. But that's just a little bit about me and what I do. I love to, um, I love to write and I love to read. I, I've always been a reader, and so so I love to write and I especially love to read God's word. So, yeah. So I assume you grew up in a Christian family then. Yes, I did. Um, my parents were saved as young adults. And so as a child, I grew up going to church. Um, it wasn't um, negotiable. We were there every time the doors were open, was introduced to God and the Bible, Jesus, all of that at a young age. But for me, I really think it became my own faith in college so I went to a secular college and there met a lot of people that believed a lot of different things. And I had that foundation in what my parents and my church had taught me, but I was faced with that idea of, is this something I'm going to believe just because I've always been taught it? Or is this something that I, 
I want to believe for myself. And I remember wrestling with that for probably a whole semester, maybe a whole year in college, just kind of going back and forth. Um, It wasn't about lifestyle. Um, It wasn't about what I wanted to do. I just really thought if I'm going to live this faith, it has to be mine. It can't be something that I just believe because someone else told me. And so I listened to a lot of people. I talked with a lot of people, both in the faith and out of the faith, a lot of people out of the faith. And and I decided in college that this is what I want. This is this is the path that I want to choose for myself. And it was a very liberating thing for me to be able to say this was my own faith. And um, I'm very grateful for my Christian background, but I'm also grateful that I was able to go to a secular college, a, not a Christian college, a one that um, you know wasn't a Bible college or anything, and really get to know people outside of my faith, and then just kind of work on making my faith my own. Yeah. So, um, so what, um, you know, you talked with a lot of people outside of the faith you said, and, um, what were some of the things you had to wrestle through and what ended up giving you confidence in Christianity? Was that what you were searching for? Like if this was something that was, true? Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, I think that we all are searching for truth. And I think that for me, when I began to talk to people who were outside of the faith, they were searching for true things as well. And I think that for me, what I'll tell you what class that really challenged me was, um, I forget the name of the class, but it was sort of like a an introduction to different religions and introduction to different um, ways that the world began, like what all in it. And it didn't just concentrate on our Western beliefs, right? It was like a worldwide view, like, okay, if you grew up in, in Asia, this is what you would have thought how the world began. And this is the stories they had. And, and if you grew up in Europe, this is, you know, the Christian kind of idea. And if you grew up in Africa, you know, this was, and it was very interesting to me. And I loved learning about that. But what I kept coming back to was there had to be a source of truth. And that's what I've wrestled with a lot is there has to be a source of truth because it has to be outside ourselves. And I just look at our world today and I see that us people are saying, I'm going to find truth in this thing. But then someone across the block says, well, I find truth in the opposite of that. And I guess in my mind, I, maybe this is just how I'm wired. Someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong. <laughs> and I don't, I, that's how I was in college. I thought, okay, it's either true or it's not true. And I realized that no one really knew. No one was there at the beginning. No one knew how this, there's no way we have any record of how it all began. And, you know, from someone like I can talk to you and say, you were there and you can tell me an eyewitness, right? So either way, whether I believed or didn't believe, it would take faith. And so I was going to put my faith into something. And so I decided I wanted to put my faith in in God. And, And ultimately, it wasn't necessarily 
God, this mystical thing. It was the, the Bible and what the Bible said about faith and what the Bible said about God. It made sense to me. And I am not afraid to ask questions. I am not afraid to have doubts. I have doubts and questions. And every time I've searched scripture or I've listened or I've studied, my faith has been reassured. And so, um, but it all started kind of in that idea of, well, we really don't have an eyewitness. So what, where am I going to put my faith in? So it makes sense to me um, that there, there is truth, like something like considering the beginning of the world, it began some way or another, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then, you know, I don't know, like, um, but you said, you know, there has to be a source of truth. I don't know if there has to be, it could be that we just, nobody knows and there is no, you know, I guess that's an option too, mm-hmm. but you've come to, um, have confidence that the Bible is a source of truth. So what gives you confidence in the Bible? Um, that's, that's a really big question. <laughs> yeah. I think that um, for me, the foundation is faith and I've chosen to put my faith in the Bible. And so I think that I come to the Bible assuming that it's true. And I don't deny that. I don't deny mm-hmm. that bias that I have. Right. Yeah. And then I also say that I can look at the Bible and when I read things in the Bible about life or about how people are or about how the world works, it makes sense to me. And I see it. I see the the truths that it speaks about. I see it play out in people's lives. I see, oh, yes, that the Bible describes that and I can see that. And so I think just experience living my life, looking around at people and how things work and looking at the Bible and say, wow, that they have an ex- there's an explanation for that. There's an explanation for that. But I think it boils down to if I'm going to talk to someone who says, well, I don't believe the Bible is true, then I think I'm going to say then um then how, where's your measuring stick? Because we all have a measuring stick, right? We all have a definition of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. What is good? What is not good? And it might not be, it's not a clear black and white, but it is definitely, we know what's not good and acceptable and what is good and acceptable. And it varies, right? From person to person. And so if I if someone said to me, well, I can't believe I don't want to use the Bible, then I'll say, what do you want to use then? Because if you use your own self, I'll just, I turned 40 this year. You know, you change the 20 year old self of me, what I thought was right and wrong and my standards have shifted in just 20 years. And so if I'm going to rely on myself to find truth, then I am in trouble because myself is just up and down. We need a source outside ourselves. And that's why I said there's a source outside of ourselves because we need a source outside of ourselves to say what is right and wrong. And the fact that there are some things that are universally wrong, like murder (laughs) or even 
you know, um, dishonesty, right? I mean, there's varying degrees of it, but we would all agree, you know, where did that standard come from? That's where I would challenge you. Like, where did it come from? Did it come from ourselves? But I don't know. To me, there's more solid, uh, um, there's more solid foundation in the Bible than when I go look outside of that for that sort of definition of truth. Yeah. Um, so I, I see what you you mean. Like the Bible just kind of seems to fit with reality as you experience and seems to touch upon like the matters of the heart and morality and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, you know, this is kind of on the side, but you mentioned that you have two children adopted from China. And mm-hmm. I think the last guest I had was speaking about how things, how we need to, um, or a couple of guests back, how the, certain things in the world just need to get better. They just need to get fixed. And she, one of her examples was it shouldn't cost like whatever, you know, thousands yeah. of dollars to adopt a child from China. Ten, tens of thousands of dollars, but yeah. Tens yes. of thousands. Yeah. 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 Is there, um, you know, and that could be a whole different podcast, but right. like, is there, um, a reason for that? Is that just a senseless thing that can be fixed or is it kind of a necessary part of adopting a child from China? Um, so international adoption has kind of shifted since COVID. So we, we adopted pre COVID. So our, we adopted, um, it's roughly about nine, seven years ago. Um, and so, the the cost of it is some of it is paperwork cost as far as like government's requirement. So if you want to speak about the cost, then go talk to your legislators and say why does it cost so much to file paperwork? Um, to it, basically, what you're doing when you adopt internationally is you're um, filing all the paperwork for them to become U.S. citizens. So both of my children are U.S. citizens. So it's a long process and it's a, a, a costly process, but it depends on the country as well. Um, these orphanages require, they can't require, but they do require that you pay to help keep the orphanages running. So um, we struggled with that idea of, you know, some people are like, well, you, you know, it's almost like you bought the child because you spent all this money on, you know, this. And I always say we paid government fees and we paid for the children left in the orphanage. And (laughs) so, um, so that's how I kind of wrapped my mind around it. I wish it didn't cost anything. (laughs) I wish that you could, you know, do do all of the background checks and the home studies and all of that to make sure that people are fit to parent children. But, um, that's, I think it's just a necessary evil, but I will tell you this. What's so interesting about both of our adoptions, we really tried to do it debt free and we really, really were, you know, we really didn't want to go into debt. A lot of people do take out loans and stuff for that and that's fine, but that's not what we wanted to do. And so, Um, 
and you know, these things, you can attribute it to chance if you don't believe in God. But because I believe in God, I see his hand all through the process. So we would, my husband would get a bonus at work that we weren't expecting. And we had, you know, and you don't pay all of that at once. You pay it over a period of time. So we would have a bill for whatever paperwork and he would get a bonus and we'd be able to pay it. So um, I was in a lot of adoption groups at the time. and. Um, people stop the adoption process for a variety of reasons, but in my 10 years of being in this world, I've never heard anybody have to quit the adoption process because the money wasn't there. (laughs) Somehow (laughs) it happened. And personally, this is only my personal opinion is I, I know that God cares for the orphan. And he wants to see them in families. And so if there's a desire and a willingness, the funds will come. And so Hmm. I wish it didn't cost that much. I think more, I think people do are deterred by that cost. And I wish they wouldn't be because like I said, I've seen God provide. I've seen it happen. Um, You can take out loans, really low interest loans. There's lots of organizations that will give you super low interest loans for that. So, um, I don't, I don't think that should be a reason why you don't adopt. Now there's lots of reasons why you shouldn't adopt. If <laughs> I don't <laughs> think adoption is for everyone, but I don't think finances should be the issue. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> telling us about that. Sorry. That's a little soapbox I get on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. So um, before we get to the Bible, you mentioned you like to read. Any other books that have been kind of life-changing for you um, that you can tell us about? Yes. So in college, I began reading a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. Maybe you've heard of it by Oswald Chambers. And um, that was very instrumental during those years. I've had different books during different periods of my time. Um, In my early 20s, 30s, I read a book by Andrew Murray called um, The True Vine, and he takes John 15, and he talks about what it means to abide in Christ. That was very informative. Um, And then recently, there was a book called Gentle and Lowly about the heart of Jesus. And that book, I think it's probably my top, one of my top three books of all time. But Hmm. those are sort of like the nonfiction. I love fiction as well. And so there's a couple books that have that I tell everybody they need to read. And one of them is called The Book Thief. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. It's called The Book Thief. It's about Mm -hmm. a girl during World War II and death is following her. And he's personified in this book. And he's telling that death is telling the story of this little girl. And um, it's just just such um, a moving book. It's not necessarily a Christian book or a Bible book, but it definitely paints a picture into the world of, of a people who suffer and who have experienced a lot of death in their life. Um, and those are the kind of books I like. I like to read books that kind of reveal the truths that we see in our life and kind of give it some voice and explanation. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh-huh. Well, when it comes to the Bible, um, I don't know. Do you have any um, thoughts about just what the Bible is? Like if, um, you know, of course it's a collection of writings, but anything else that you would say about 
well, just what is this, you know, the Bible that we have? Yes. So it depends on who I'm talking to. So if I'm talking to a Christian who believes the Bible's true, I would say, are you reading it? Because let me tell you, a lot of Christians don't read it from cover to cover. And what I love about the Bible, and this is for everybody, what I love about the Bible is it tells one story. It's a collection of stories. It really is. Um, Genres, you have all the genres. um, You have historical um, narrative. You have regular just um, uh, history. You have genealogies. You have poetry. You have sort of this idea of um, uh, figurative sort of prose and just it literally, literarily, it is a book that just covers a lot. You could just study it and study it. But if you read it with the idea that there is one story that God is telling and God is the author and he uses human people and, and, you know, different Different people have different explanations of that, but but God is using these stories to point to a reality of life, and that reality is the way the world is right now was not the way it was created, and because of sin, because God gave man the free choice to sin, um, he did sin, and that is in the first like couple chapters of Genesis. And then there's like the majority of the Bible is how we get back to what we're meant to be. And that is yet to come, but we get a glimpse of it at the very end of the Bible in Revelation, the last few chapters of Revelation. So um, you can see the big picture of the Bible. If you want to just read what the big picture of the Bible, I would encourage you to read in Genesis, the first two or three chapters, go to Romans, which is sort of in the middle, like towards the end, read the first five chapters of Romans, and then read the last three chapters of Revelation. And like, it just kind of all just tells one big story. But um, that's why I loved about the Bible. It's, it is all connected. It's hard to see sometimes. But if you study, and you listen, and you read the Bible in context of when it was written and who it was written to, it tells, it tells the story of how God is redeeming all of mankind. Yeah. I think about the story line of the Bible sometimes. And one of the things that seems to really be emphasized is just how we, we fail. Like there's no, um, there's not many heroes in the Bible, you know, there are, but they're fallen heroes. Mm. Um, but like starting with Adam and Eve and then their children. And then it's like just over and over and over and over and over again. And, um, it seems like that part of the story is really pushed home. Um, you know, really wanting to, uh, that to be emphasized that we are all, um, fallen and, uh, kind of in the same place when it comes to our own record, you know, that yeah. none of us have a, you know, a perfect record. Right. You know? Yeah. And um, that seems to be, I don't know, I'm not familiar of the stories and literature of the world, but it seems 
like that could be kind of unique that there's, you know, um, that, you know, we're just painted in such um, a light like yes. that, you know. And the Bible is unique in that aspect that the ancient literature that we read, the heroes of the story had no flaws, right? Hmm. They didn't have any flaws. Um and so, you know, these, these Greek gods, these myths, you know, um, they had flaws, the God has flaws, but what I love about, what I love about all of those stories in the Bible that point to the flaws is that there's one person that stands out to have no flaws and that's Jesus. It's almost like God promised Adam and Eve in the Bible, there's going to be someone who is going to make everything right. Your seed, the seed of this woman, and this is going to be an offspring. And it's almost like the whole Old Testament is raises up these men. And, you know, you think, is this the man, right? We have Abraham. No, he fails right away. Moses, no, he murders. We have Joshua, we have, you know, Gideon, the, the, we have these prophets and, and over and over and over again, we see that who we think might be this person is in fact not. And then we get, it's almost like a climax. We get to the, to the end of the old Testament. No one's come. There's been no, in thousands of years. And then we read in Matthew, actually read in Matthew this morning and God speaks to Mary and Joseph and he says, you will call him Emmanuel. And he, and that means God with us. And it's like, wait, here we go. This is the answer. And you read Jesus's life, which if you've never read anything in the Bible, I really would encourage you to read, just read the gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of them. Um, Mark is great. It's very to the point and you get all of Jesus's life and it's really short. It's the shortest of the one. And I would say, just look at the life of Christ and, and be honest. If the writers of the Bible were willing to show all the flaws, right. Of all these other men that were really great men that did great things for God, but yet they had flaws and we get to Jesus, there's no flaws. And I'm thinking if if we're going to be fair, then then if Jesus had flaws, then they would have been written about. And in my mind, that's just logically how I think. But um, Jesus was the Son of God, and He was perfect. And He lived the life that we couldn't live so that we could have the life that He has. And He died the death that we couldn't die so that we can have his life. And I just think that that is so powerful when you think about the story of the Bible, that Jesus is sort of the pinnacle of the whole, of the whole Bible. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like if, if you're talking to a Christian or if yeah. you're talking to someone who's not a Christian, um, I don't know how much, experience you have with talking with those outside of the faith who Mm -hmm. don't believe. But I many times kind of share my experience of Christianity with others, but um, it, there seems to be a lot of apathy, you know, um, when I'm at the gym, just chatting with someone in the sauna, 
um, people are um, happy to kind of hear, but it seems like it doesn't, there's not a whole lot of interest in that type of thing. Um, I don't know. Um, do you have any thoughts about that just through your own experience? And have you learned any particular ways for talking with those outside of the faith that has been, you know, helpful, meaningful? I think for me, what really helps is connecting with a person apart from my faith. So a connecting with a person not based on the fact that I'm a Christian or that I'm, you know, want to share spiritual things. I think that I can invite a new mom over to my house and say, I'll watch your, you know, like let let your kid play with my kids. Um, and we'll just have some coffee and you tell me about your life. <laughs> and I found that people are way more receptive if you care about the things that are happening in their life. If you sit there and at least for the first few conversations, I don't share Bible verses. I don't mention God unless they bring it up um, mm -hmm. or church. If they bring that up, that's fine. But I don't, I just want to listen and see where they're coming from. And I think that relationships are a great way to share the faith with people. And a lot of people want to just share the gospel and move on. And I think that people need to know that you care. Um, when we served as missionaries, one of our major things that we did is we had medical teams come down and serve the people in these underserved areas, you know, these really poor neighborhoods. And they would come because they didn't have access to any kind of health care that was, that was um, uh, what the level of what we would consider good health care. And so we would provide medicines, we would provide glasses, and then there would be, and we would just listen to people. And they they appreciated the fact that we just cared about them as a person first. Mm -hmm. And if we see people as, you know, if you see the same people at the gym every week, get to know them. Hey, what do you like to do for fun? Or are you married? Do you have kids? How are your kids? How old are they? Um, if people have kids, they love talking about their kids, but you know, um, just try to get to know them and remember things. I'm so bad about meeting someone and then forgetting all about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so really try to get in your mind. Okay. That person has a daughter who's in college or that person, you know, lost their son or, or whatever it is that you can kind of say, you know, well, how's your daughter doing in college? You remember something about someone, they, they really respond really well to that. Yeah. 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 That's good. Well, okay. So <clears throat> there's the Bible. I know you're into helping people get something out of it. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts about, um, you know, just ways to feed upon the Bible rather than it just sitting on a shelf and, you know, where you're really um, getting out of it what it has to offer? So I talk about sort of, and, and not everywhere, but I think of it as a three-step process. And the first is, and I like to alliterate, so these are... Um, sort of um, 
P words. So make it a priority. So it starts with a heart desire. And I would encourage people, and I've been in this place where I haven't really wanted to read my Bible. I mean, I just didn't have the desire. And so I prayed and I asked God, I said, Lord, give me a desire for your word. And he does. He does give you that desire. But then you just have to kind of get up. And um, it's like exercise. You mentioned going to the gym. Um, You're never going to wake up and jump out of bed and say, I can't wait to go to the gym. I mean, maybe some people are like that. But I think the majority of people are like, "Uh, well, I know it's a priority. Like I've made this a priority in my life. And so make Bible reading a priority in your life. And then the next step is to find a plan. Um, either say, I'm going to start in Genesis and read through, or I'm going to start in this book of the Bible. I would really encourage you to find some kind of plan online. I have a bunch on my website. If you want to go poke around on my website, they have, there's lots of reading plans on there, but even if you just take a book of the Bible and I really encourage people just take a book and you don't have to start in Genesis. A lot of people start in Genesis and then they quit and then they start in Genesis again. If you've started several times, don't start in Genesis, like start in a different book. Um, and then the the next step is sort of just a, I want to say it's just sort of you have to prepare. So when I prepare, I pray and I also read up on that book of the Bible. So I might go online and I might search, you know, who is the author of this book? Who are they speaking to? Um, there's a there's a lot of um, information online that you can find about, you know, an overall picture of the book. So that when I get down to reading it, I was like, oh, that goes, you know, what are the themes of this book? Kind of give an overview of those books, of that book of the Bible. And then I I like to take notes. I have a notebook here that I just write down my thoughts or I write down questions I might look up later. Um, I write down problems I have with verses like, I don't know if I agree with this or is this somewhere else in the Bible and what do they mean by this? And so I think that to get the most out of our Bible, we really need to make it a priority. We need to make a plan and we need to prepare. We need to kind of get some background and that sort of thing. And I will mention real quick that I do have some courses um, on different books of the Bible. So if there's a book of the Bible that you're interested in, I probably have a course. And basically it gives you a reading plan. It gives you an introduction to that book and how um, it was written and why it was written. Is it poetry? Is it narrative? You know, that sort of thing. And um, helps you get started on studying that book of the Bible. Yeah. And I'll put a link in the show notes to your website, but just in case anyone's not, you know, looking at the show notes, your website is sarahefraser.com. Yes. And Fraser is F R. A Z E R. Yes, no I. We're Frasers without an I. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And then your recent book seems to have more to do with um, suffering, perhaps. Is, mm-hmm. uh, um, is there any particular, um, you know, just suffering that you've gone through in your own life or really hard situations that, um, you know, have kind of shaped you or 
or have done, you know, impacted your life in some way? Yeah, I think the biggest one was actually when we adopted our daughter from China, um, the special needs that was listed in the paperwork wasn't what she had. And her special needs ended up being much more severe than what we had thought. And so walking into this world of being a special needs parent wasn't something that I signed up for. (laughs) It wasn't something that I really saw for my life. And I struggled for um, many months, probably a whole year after bringing her home of why God would allow even having, like, why would he allow children to suffer like that? Or why would he lead us down this path? And now it's really hard. And so um, my book focuses on the life of Moses and it kind of correlates my story, but also the story of Moses because Moses was adopted. So if you read Exodus, you'll, uh, the first couple chapters, you'll see that he was adopted. So I connected with that story, that part of his story. But I saw that Moses had plans. He tried to, you know, do things his way and God completely interrupted his plans over and over again. And so I just walk the reader through Moses' story and say, here's what we can learn from Moses. Here's some things that I've learned through this situation. And I share about our adoption. I share about battling postpartum depression as a new mom. I share about, you know, just the rejection and loneliness that comes with sometimes being human and having people in your life that reject or, or leave you. And then also the idea that, you know, when we left the mission field, it was, it it wasn't under the best circumstances and how you navigate sort of, you know, you had dreams and goals and then God moves you and you're struggling to find sort of where he wants you and what he wants from you. And just those questions that we have. Yeah. And then has, you know, I just want to ask you about your experience of God, like, um, you know, because our relationship with God is relationship. So it's like knowing someone and then has, you know, going through these experiences changed or impacted how, you know, what you know of God or, or that relationship and so forth? Oh, yeah. Yes. I think for me, um, suffering at first drew me away from God. I was afraid to ask God questions. I was af- I, I didn't know if I could trust him. And when I did go to God with my questions and I did go to him with my frustrations and my grief during these situations, and when I say I go to God, that's a phrase Christians use, but it's basically when I was reading my Bible and when I was praying and listening to sermons and listening to Christian music, I think all of that is just, just, you know, listening to God. I, I realized that, um, I realized characteristics of God and I, I say in the beginning of my book that I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the suffering in my life because the suffering has brought me in deeper intimacy with God because it's it's proved that he is capable of handling all of my grief and my pain and he is also capable of giving me peace and joy in the midst of it and the way that happens is i really got to know who he is i really dove into his faithfulness 
and his justice and his righteousness. And those became such a, a bedrock of, of faith in my life. And one of the things that really changed and shifted me was this idea of God being in complete control while also being completely good. And when we look at our life, we think, well, if we had a God that was in completely control, you know, how then he must not be good because he's allowed all these suffering things to happen. But if we have a God who's good, and then we say, well, he must not be in control because I suffer. But suffering is such a a complicated and deep topic that I realized the actual answer is that God is both sovereign and good. And that means he's in complete control, complete knowledge. He sees outside of time and space. And then he's also a hundred percent good. And so if I saw both of those characteristics in the Bible, when I began studying God's character and it just, it just was like over and over and over and over again, I thought I can trust you because you're in control and you're good. I don't understand the suffering. I don't understand. And I tell people this, I said, sometimes we want answers to why, right? That's the question we're asking. But I think, I think to myself, we really don't need to ask that question. That's not the question we're really asking. The question we're asking is who, who's behind all of this? And the answer is this good and sovereign God. And for me, going through those things and searching the Bible, reading stories, listening to people teach the Bible and praying, those really reinforce all of that idea about God. So it's the um, experience you were going through, but meeting that experience with the word and yes. prayer and seeking God during it. Um, so yes, sometimes for me, if something pretty big happens, um, I, my, my thoughts are do turn to God. Like what, what's going on here is, you know, is how's God working through this? Some things are small and just irritating and they seem so random you know, I don't think of, um, well, this is a part of God's plan. I just think yeah. that happened and I don't like it, you know. Yeah. But um, so I wonder if, you know, it can be both true that God is sovereign and in control of everything, but he just kind of allows things to to take place so that you can exercise um, wisdom and grow in skill of handling life and dealing with the little frustrations things. I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to make sense of that type of thing for me. But It, it is, but I'll tell you what, we can go to Job. So the book mm-hmm. of Job, if you're not familiar with that story, is um, there's this story about God in heaven and Satan comes to God and says, you know, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, he only serves you because you've given him all these things. And so God said, okay, 
you know, and Satan goes, if he, if I did this and this to him, he wouldn't serve you. And God said, okay, I'll, I'll allow you. And in that short exchange, we see a picture of God's sovereignty Mm -hmm. because even though Satan is the author of the suffering, he is the cause of the suffering. He had to get permission from God to exercise that suffering. So we can take comfort in knowing that any suffering that we face had to go through God first. He -hmm. had to give permission. And we might think, wow, he's a really hateful God to allow this suffering. But if we see the point in in Job's story is that Job Job needed to go through the suffering so that he could see the reality of who God was. And at the end of Job, Job reaches that point. But what is so comforting to me is Romans 8:28 and I know it is used to sort of put a band-aid on everything and what I love about that verse it says all things work together for our good. And what we miss is Romans 8:29 which is the next verse. And in that verse it says to be conformed in the image of his son. And so as Christians, we have this unique opportunity to look at our suffering and say, God allowed it. He wasn't the cause of it, but he allowed it so that we can become more like Christ. And so when I go through suffering, it I, I go to God with my grief first. I, I mean, Job tore his clothes <laughs> like he was grieving. He cried out. Um but then also say, okay, Lord, teach me. Teach me something about you. Teach me something about yourself. Maybe what I need to change, what what I need to know while I go through this. Realizing that, and another thing about Job is God only allowed the suffering so far, right? He said, mm-hmm. you, may, right. You, may, you may do this and this, but you can't go here. So our suffering is not just this blanket thing that Satan gets to do whatever he wants. No, God is in control of how much we suffer. And it always has a purpose and it has a stopping point. And so that is super comforting when we're in the midst of something. Yeah. When for you, do you feel close to God where you just feel his presence? Um, Is it when you're doing any kind of particular thing or is it during times of being in the word or is there what you know what kind of what is it like for you as um, far as that so the first thing that comes to mind and this is super crazy and random but it's in the car okay <laughs> if i'm driving in the car and i have been reading god's word recently you know if i'm in a good you know reading god's word consistently i've got a good habit going um and I'll, I'll pray in the car a lot, obviously, with my eyes open. Don't close your eyes and pray, you know, in the car. But I'll pray for things. And then I'll just turn on music. And there, it it almost always brings me to tears. And or it just, the Lord will reinforce a couple things he, he's been sharing with me in his word or things that I've heard preached. Um, and I listen to a lot of sermons in the car. So I have a couple preachers that I love to listen to on podcasts. And so I'll listen and my kids just look at me like I'm crazy, but I'll just like have tears in my eyes. I feel really close to God, just driving them to soccer practice. (laughs) 
And so I think that um, that's the stage of life that I'm in right now. And God is meeting me right there, which is really cool for me to think about. But um, I really feel close to God when I'm in the car, um, just praying about things and listening to music. I feel, I feel his presence. Yeah. You seem like you come across when I look at your, even before talking with you, but just looking at your website and the description of your life, like you're really you must be really efficient, organized, and <laughs> things like that. I would like to, I think I would like to appear that way, or at least try to, to, to go that way. Um, I love to be organized. I love to organize things. Um, my husband says I probably have a touch of OCD, just like I've got to have things in their, their place. My brain works that way. Um, organizing, um, when you have this many kids, you have to have things organized. It has to, you know. But um, one of the things that I've really um, had to let go of are the interruptions. And they used to really bother me a lot when I had a plan for the day or I had this or that we were going to do. And there's interruptions. And um, anybody who has kids, especially little kids, knows that, you know, you can never predict anything that's going to happen with them. So um, I learned a long time ago to be kind of flexible and just say, I'm going to plan on this and, you know, and trust that whatever God brings to my day or my life, then it's meant to be. So I'm still, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still work in progress in that area, but I do like to organize. I think I just do it out of necessity (laughs) to keep sane and to keep everyone, you know, where they need to be. But, um, but yeah. Any particular, um, like daily or weekly habits or rituals or anything like that, that has been really helpful to you? Yes. I think for me, um, I always, I assume I'm going to read my Bible in the morning and, um, it varies time wise because of different activities or if my kids are home or if they're at school, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, if my husband's off work or if he's, you know, working, but it's always assumed that I'm going to read my Bible in the morning And so I just have all my stuff together in one spot and I just go to that spot. And what helps me is I set a timer and I say, okay, I'm going to sit, sit here for 15, 30 minutes, pray, read, think, whatever it takes, you know, just for 30 minutes. And so it's really such a habit. I don't even have to think about it anymore, but it always, it wasn't always the case. So, I mean, that's been a habit that I continually have to to go to do but another habit is to make sure that I have something to listen to in the car that's uplifting and so either if it's going to be a sermon or if it's going to be a song um, I just always make sure that I have something that's going to be uplifting in the car and and point me to God so those those have really helped me and those are just habits that I have yeah well, before we um, go, I'm going to just let you talk about how people can follow you and learn more about you and so forth. But before that, is there anything else, you know, that's just been on your mind lately that you'd like to bring up or just, you know, anything? I think for me, um, the Lord really has been impressing on me to lean into um, developing relationships and friendships that could lead to discipleship. And as I'm moving out of the little, little tiny kid stage into more of the bigger kid teenager stage, I've 
I can look back and see where I did things wrong as a new mom and where I did things right and what has helped us as a family. And I'm really, the Lord has really opened up a door for me with one young woman, but also I'm praying for a couple and just be willing. The Lord really been impressing on my heart. You need to be willing to share your struggles and share your victories with these moms who are just starting out. And then also um, be involved in people on, like I said, on a more of an individual level. Um, It's just things I've been listening to about witnessing and sharing the gospel and just really making that effort to befriend people that are in my life. And it takes effort. We're so busy. But to just meet them with for coffee or go eat lunch with them and not be about me, but be about them. And hmm. let's go into that conversation. I want to hear about your life. What are you struggling with? Whether they're Christian or not, um, just being willing to minister to people on a one-on-one basis. And so that's something that I've been wrestling with and and really praying about and, and seeking opportunities for. Hmm. It reminds me of this past weekend. I was at a wedding and sitting across from um, a, a woman at um, the reception, and she mentioned people want to be heard, known, and loved. Oh yeah. And and what you were just saying about you know ministering to them and caring, you know, I it seems like listening and you know yes. just like you're describing it is really a way to serve someone and yes. you know be a blessing to them. Yes, definitely. Well, um, what would you like to um, share as far yeah. as just how people can be following you? Yeah. And um, stuff? You can go to my website. Um, if you look at the top, it has a place where you can check out my book. If that's something that you're interested in, it's available now, um, anywhere books are sold. And then, you know, if it's something, it's a great book to gift to someone who might be going through a really hard time. Maybe they have an unexpected health diagnosis or they have an, you know, a breakup of a relationship or the, you know, a job loss or something like that. I think, um, my book speaks to to help encourage them. So if you want to gift it to a friend, but also um, I'm on Instagram mostly. Um, so you can find me at Sarah E. Fraser on Instagram. And remember, my name is F-R-A-Z-E-R. But if you search that on Instagram, you'll find me. I love to hang out there. And as I said, my website has a ton of resources. Um, A lot of them are free. So a lot, I mean, almost all the reading plans you can get for free. And then um, if you want to contact me, there's a contact form. If you have any questions or you want to talk about anything, I love to correspond through an email. And so, um, yeah, send me an email and, and tell me you were on the show and I'd love to connect with you. So, or you heard the show. (laughs) Thanks Sarah for being a guest. It's been really good to talk with you and really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.